you have to create that environment by focusing on the things that will make you be able to work. So one, of course, is internet connection and claim that environment to be yours. So I, for example, claim a particular part of the house to be my workspace. If you then go back to your normal ways of working, question is, do you carry over that culture? Do you bake it into part of the existing way you work or do you adapt what you used to before to fit and accommodate both? If you can have a way that people can log in and log out without having to come to the office, then you've shifted the way you do your work, the processes of your company and how effective you are at the end of the day. Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from Meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. This episode was recorded during the How to Thrive Remotely webinar where we discussed the intricacies of remote working. Some of the key topics we covered included the rules of thumb in remote working, cybersecurity implications of working remotely, and online collaboration tools for maximum productivity. The speakers included Somet Kipchilat, a partner development manager at Microsoft for Africa, Lynn Mugambi, a software engineer at Andela, and Dr. Bright Mawudol, the head of cybersecurity at Internet Solutions of Kenya. The conversation was moderated by Kennedy Kiroi, who is a co-founder and CEO of Made by People. What did you do to make that successful transition from a space where you are a bit more like in person or semi-remote to now something almost fully remote uh, in terms of software, in terms of like how you had to rethink your teams and how you interact between the different teams? Maybe you can just talk a bit more about that. And I think I'll start with uh, Summit and then go to Lean and then have Bright come last. Okay. Um, so from my end, uh, simply because of the nature of work that I do, uh, I typically have had to work with multiple different teams across the world. So different time zones, different um, cultures. Um, I think one of the things a lot of companies need to do in order to make remote work successful is make it part of the culture. So make sure that you're able to provide the right facilities um, to enable remote work and create. Um, so it, it boils down to culture and your even business process. So I see a lot of companies who've created business structures where it requires somebody to be there in person. And so for remote work to be there, uh, you have to create those facilities. A good example is um, I've seen a lot of businesses have physical desk phones. So your work number is tied to a physical phone in your office. So that forces you to some extent to be at the office. Um, but I know today there's quite a number of different services online that allow you to route those phone numbers to virtual phones. Uh, so you don't have to do that. So one, I think it goes back down to facilities, but also the culture. So creating a culture, even down to how you measure success for your employees on, on remote working. A um, good example is for the five and a half years I've been in Microsoft, I've never had a boss in the same country. I've always had a boss. I've had a boss in Egypt, in South Africa, in Senegal. So that culture of enabling people to work irrespective of where they are and let them govern themselves, then I think is, is really interesting. 
I'd agree with Somet and the same. I think I was lucky that coming from an in-person job into Andela, it's, it's remote first from the get-go. So the first day you have your laptop equipped with almost everything you need and you have lots of training on how to make that transition smoothly as well as set up your office environment, get a good desk, get a good chair, get good internet connectivity. So I think once you have the support mainly from your employer from the word go, it's really easy to make that transition instead of just figuring out on the go. So related to that particular question, what what trends have you seen or what have you seen people around you or people that you work with uh, adopt in terms of trying to get online and become like more remote than the way they were before. Uh, what do you think are the, some of the interesting operational changes that they've yeah. had to make or you'd have to make to make that work? Bright, they can go first. Yeah, so um, for example, before when you have a physical office, you want to talk to people, you can walk to their desk, uh, call them into a room for a meeting, be able to engage and get feedback and, 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 and the likes. And also you have internal systems that people used to work with uh, but now, quickly, we had to switch to VPNs, uh, corporate VPN, virtual private networks, if for those who don't know what VPN stands for, whereby we can lo- log in into the network for our physical office to get this, things done. Not everyone has the capability to be able to have such working um, um, security uh, tools. So that's a, that's a bit of a change which I, I had to experience. So people had to adjust to that. And uh, so far, I, it took a while. To get used to it so when you're having a virtual meeting you don't know if if the, if our videos were not on right now you can't tell who is paying attention or not or who is serious or who's trying to contribute uh and so it became sometimes a bit slower to say but uh so for those who don't know how to work remotely it becomes quite difficult for them to adjust to it yeah i think um we had like half of our staff who worked on site most of the week. And I think the major change we've seen now is lots more uh, avenues of communication, a lot more meetings, just to get that cycle of feedback, to make sure people are communicating when their internet is down, to know what ex- what issues they're experiencing at home. Um, are they able to have a safe space at home and where they can work and feel like they're going to be uninterrupted? So there was immediately a lot of feedback going on in terms of the company. We have a lot more meetings and I think that's the major change because otherwise it's been good. Um, So from our end, uh, so Microsoft has had the ability of, or the company has set up the ability for, and I mean literally almost all its employees to be able to work remotely. It's a culture that has been built in the company from for quite a while now. And so um, I would be able to work um, uh, irrespective of where I'm, whether I'm traveling, whether I am um, up country in Eldorite, um, I have the ability always to, to work. So I think where there's a change that needs to happen, and one of the reasons, right, your, your team, you've seen, the, it's been a bit slow to change is a culture shift. So shifting the culture around, you know, what does it mean to work remotely? A lot of businesses had built their models on employees have to be in the office eight to five. Um, you kind of now have to change that and get people to work within the times that they have, but also not burn through back-to-back meetings, but be able to, you know, the way in-person meetings always have a gap in between them. So how do you do that virtually? So there has to be a bit of a culture shift, but also a change in how the facilities and the technologies, and I guess we'll get later into the toolings and the technologies, 
The other thing uh, that needs to also a bit change is how businesses measure people. Uh, there's a famous thing that says uh, you become what you measure. Now, if you measure this person on working eight to five and be seen in the office, that exactly is exactly what they will turn into. But for remote work, that needs you to give a culture to someone in the sense that they're able to work within the times that work for them and within the hours that work for them. Because naturally, as human beings, you know, some of us are good in the at working in the morning, some are good at working in the evening. So how do you facilitate an, an environment that allows that person to work at the times that are convenient for him? But also looking at how you measure them impacts. What are some of the common mistakes that companies transitioning from traditional modes of working to remote styles? What are some of the common mistakes or things that they are doing that will set them up for failure? If I, if I may start... Um... Everybody now thinks you're available 24-7. For those who are not used to remote working, they believe that, um, it need, I mean, people can check my calendar in, in the organization when they go to Microsoft Outlook. But now they think, okay, if he's free from 9 to 10, that means from 10 to 11, he's, he, there's, a, there's an opening before he gets another call at 12. So you don't have to, you're not traveling, you're not moving from one place to the other. But they forget the fact that you have other things to do. Um, you need to eat, you need to sleep. <laughs> and it leads to a whole lot of burnout, which somebody was even asking, how do we deal with burnouts? Um, secondly, we have documents assigned. Uh, I realized we do um, on digital signing of documents. And now people are struggling. I know someone who was telling me in their organization, they're, trying to, they're struggling with the fact that they need to get a signature on the paper. Now, they don't know if they should drive to the, their boss's office or, or home to actually get that signature. And uh, so that's the thing. Some of the challenges I see when it comes to, and then the whole thing of measurement, I see part of my team, my team were, were very pro more productive because they are more on time for meetings and it's very strict to that. But other departments you want to work with becomes a bit difficult because you don't know if they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. You can't sit down there and get some installation files or the likes. So um, it's, it's a bit, uh, Productivity is a bit um, uh, difficult to measure for some people. Um, but yeah, but that burnout, it, it, it catches up with you because you're having back-to-back -back and not everybody understands that you're not always free. You're not always available as they think it's supposed to be because you're not moving. One of the things I have seen is, maybe we can, uh, this is probably the next question, but is using the right tools for the right things. Um, so now that people have had to transition into remote working, what most people have done is taken the tools that are convenient for them to work, to do what they do daily and change them to work. I'll give a good example. A lot of organizations are now communicating over um, tools like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger. Um, but the problem with such platforms is you, as businesses, especially if you're dealing with sensitive stuff, you have no control as a business of what information moves, give an example of a WhatsApp. So have you created the right facilities, tools mm. for communication to allow people to use the right tools and not use what is convenient to them? But also if you look at the other mistake a lot of companies do is you get a plethora of 500 tools to do 500 different things for getting mm. that differently and they overlap while there are tools that overlap these functions into one. So as Bright said, so if you look at the way, and sorry, I'm going to put my Microsoft hat on, um, teams can do quite a lot from project management to 
um, to remote working, to collaboration, to the security, to the managing devices, to the managing security, to the managing identity. In essence, what I'm saying is, so Microsoft has been building these collaboration tools for years. So there are certain things as small companies that don't seem important to you right now when you're you know, quickly rushing over to use WhatsApp as a business, that, but as you scale to a larger remote team or distributed teams or even remote working, then they start becoming important. Because now that these people are working remotely, are you sure that the person who on the other end is, the person, is who they say they are? So being able to know that this is a device that is should be on my network or this is a person that he says is because it's multi-factor authentication, it becomes very important. And so if you look at it from a cost perspective, I always say um, a lot of people jump to looking at the low, how low can this price go versus look at across the different environments that you use. If you actually do a cost analysis, does it make sense to buy um, three different tools that have an overlap with the conferencing versus buying one tool that has multiple services across. And I guess it just, it takes time and it takes time to understand and look through these tools. So I guess that's why part of the organization is you need to have people who look into, you know, do these tools actually serve the purpose that they should or what you're looking for? I think a big challenge is for companies to maintain the trust and accountability that they had when you had to physically come into the office and you know, your boss can see you and they can kind of see you're working, quote unquote. Mm. Uh, so I think companies transitioning into how can we monitor and reward productivity, uh, track wins, track the fact that you've done your tasks for the day. And as, as Samet says, using the right tools for the right job is very, very important because um, that's when the research comes in. That's when the time that the company takes to figure out what will work for our team and our people uh, using, um, I, I'm sure this will come later, but using tools like uh, Trello and Jira and uh, Slack for communication, it's really important to just make sure you're able to um, communicate and figure out how best to work with your team. We are talking about tools now. Like how do you, how do you shift from, we're in an office where we're seeing each other. If I need information from someone, I either walk over to them if I need to talk to someone, I set up a physical meeting. So as we move to a remote, mostly remote-only culture, how do, then do you choose the tools to, to work with? And what are some of the tools that you've had, both positive and negative experiences with? So, Matt, do you want to go first? Okay. It depends on the organization. One, uh, the platforms that you need, one is a collaboration platform. Um, okay. I know a lot of businesses had built, um, I think a, a key starting point is communication that is accountable. One is email. So email is a good uh, starting place. Uh, the likes of people using Gmail for work is not necessarily the best thing. Not that I'm saying Gmail is bad, um, but it's not the right tool for the right job. So being, because uh, you have to look at it in two ways. One, it's, there is the end user of this side. And then there's the organization. So give an example, as an organization, things you need to think about is identities. Now that we're working remotely, is, is the email that is coming through or whoever is signing on to this thing or using this thing, are they who they say they are? So identity becomes a big thing. 
Number two is looking at devices because that's what we use to access these tools. You know, is that the right device? Is it, is it compliant? Um, is it connecting to my network? Is it compliant to my policies? So um, there are tools that are uh, designed from the business's perspective in terms of helping them manage how people work. And then there's an the end consumer bit. So end consumer bit, I know Zoom has become very popular. Teams has become very popular. I'm surprised uh, Google Meet, I haven't seen a lot of people using it. Um, so if you look at the way some of these tools are designed, they're designed for organizations. Now, question is, um, what are you using them for? I know like that Zoom um, is very, seems very good at video conferencing and, uh, and doing video conferencing or, or conferences like this. Um, if you look at Teams and Slack are designed for um, communication, whether it's over chat, but at least it's persistent. Um, so you're looking at, um, do you balance between using chat-based apps versus email-based apps? What can you hold accountable? What can you not? You'll see some companies going and using WhatsApp as a WhatsApp group to do business. It might work for them. In some cases, you need something more advanced that the business can control, like Teams or Slack. So again, it, again, it boils down back to you know, which organization is using it and what works for their culture. So from a tool's perspective, there's quite a range. Um, I guess what is might be important is for the organizations themselves to actually share a guidance around what people should, should use uh, rather than let people decide what they use. Because people use whatever is convenient for them. I always say, never underestimate human ingenuity. Yeah, so I definitely think the, the first thing is collaboration tools. As he said, you can't be using Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp for uh, company communications because one, is it, it, how secure is it in terms of anyone can enter the group or, you know, those types of measures, um, as well as uh, how, how can you facilitate that conversation? Can you moderate the conversation? Can you stop people from posting certain things, etc., etc.? So um, if you're looking at instant messaging, you're always going for Slack. If you're looking for, you know, just normal official communication, you're looking for a proper Gmail suite or uh, Outlook or Microsoft suite as well. Uh, you know, project management tools as well, just to track what people are doing, what, what they're doing at what time. You have to use calendars and um, something we use at Andela as well is for time tracking, things like NOCO, just to be able to say, oh, from uh, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., this is what I worked on. From 12 p.m. to 2 p.m., this is what I worked on. So you're able to see what someone is doing at what time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a number of things. And as he said, it's definitely um, dependent on your company, what's your culture, uh, the size of your company, because all these things do come at a cost. So what do you guys do? Can you afford it? And what works for you? People like to go cheap. And cheap is expensive, if you ask me. So I tell people, don't try to go for cheap solutions and then uh, later complain that um, it's not working for you. So for example, okay, yeah, well, there's Zoom, there's Teams, there's and everything. But personally, if I may just, I don't want to just, I'm not advocating for Summit because of Microsoft, but Teams became a savior for us when it came to this. Because one, integration is very easy. It's your email, Outlook, so to set a meeting and to go invitation and everything becomes easy. Now, two, it's saved on a cost in terms of mobile phone. I don't have to keep calling people 
um, on their direct phone line because now they've carried their office phone lines with them to Teams. So, so on Teams, it's easy to just chat somebody or call them directly on the app on a mobile phone and it's safe cost because data is cheaper than, of course, credit to, for you to buy. So tools that can help you for easy collaboration is what people need to think about. And also um, tools such as VPNs for you to be able to have secure communication with your internal teams. And also um, right now, I know we're not moving to coffee shops and the likes, but we need to start thinking about even when you go to a coffee shop, you need some sort of some security solutions such as a, a secure VPN to prevent people from, be, from being able to um, uh, listen to your conversations and the likes. I'll give a typical example. If you're on the same Wi-Fi as me, or if you connect to the wrong Wi-Fi that I have created, I'll basically try to intercept whatever you're doing and security becomes a problem. So the right tools for collaboration like Linset and also easy integration into other platforms you already have is quite important. So well, I'm saying Teams because, man, that has become the savior for everybody. We never used to use it that much, but for easy collaboration, communication, stability, and be able to be scalable, having a lot of number of people onto it, um, that was the way to go for me. That collaboration element, I think, has been the most difficult part. Yeah. To be honest, you can't do it on video calls. It's not enough. We don't have spaces to sketch and give feedback. So which tools have you, have you come across interesting tools that can, in a way, mimic that brain, those brainstorm sessions within your office? Um, again, um, if you look at this, I forgot to mention cloud services. People are now realizing they have to go to the cloud. And it's a mm. song we've been singing for so long, but now is when it's coming to realization and reality <laughs> that we need to move to the cloud. Um, again, I'm not advocating for Microsoft. <laughs> uh, well, we had to use uh, Microsoft SharePoint. Uh, we have to use Yama. Because like something on Yama, which most people don't know about, Yama is easy for me to go start a conversation and everybody around the entire company, more than a thousand employees, communicate and give me feedback as soon as possible. So for easy collaboration, Yama is there. For sharing documents, SharePoint works for me easily. Uh, OneDrive, I sync my details on my Microsoft, uh, my Microsoft um, Office 365. I don't need to be on my laptop all the time. My phone works for me. I edit documents, quickly send back. And also when I share documents, I don't have to attach a document because I don't want them to download it. So I prevent them from downloading. So that's already a data loss prevention uh, security feature that has been embedded into it. Um, I'm not a Microsoft salesperson, by the way. I'm just only talking about what has worked for me <laughs> in the past few weeks. And um, so that is the collaboration. When people are editing, I can see what they've done, tracking everything. It's easy. Um, so that cloud services. And the reason why people are not moving or making that call is because they're not even checking the costs. They're cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, integration purposes, I see uh, Microsoft having multi um, details when it comes to cloud storage, uh, cheaper in terms of also uh, having uh, collaborations with Yammer, SharePoint, OneDrive, and Outlook, all integrated as one. So all in one, I mean, all in one with a single sign-on and multiple authentication mm -hmm. with two-factor authentication, really important. Um, being able to integrate that makes life easier. And it's not that expensive as people think it is. Jumping on what Bright said, um, if you look at if you look at it from an organizational perspective, there are certain things you never pay attention to until you know 
the likes of Corona happens are like managing devices. There's a lot of people with, you know, their own personal devices or work given devices, but a lot of organizations have no idea what people do on those devices or who is actually, uh, you know, using those devices. So a couple of mm-hmm. things that I mentioned earlier, identity baseline, security baseline. Yeah, so I'm clearly on the, the odd one out of the team. I'm a Google person, so I've been using Google Same forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a bit marginalized. But anyway, um, so the Google suite has been working great for me and I think great for Andela in general, um, you know, sharing uh, conversations on docs, you know, a hundred people can edit the same documentation. Um, as Ahmed said, uh, identity management. So because we use a large suite of apps at Andela, uh, we use Okta for identity um, management. Uh, so I'm able to use my Okta account to sign into about 20 apps that we use on a daily basis for HR management and other things like that. So um, so I think it's very important, as you said, there's a lot of smaller companies here. I think Google does a good job with their slides, with the draw. I use draw for brainstorming between teams, um, you know, when we just want to sketch things out. And um, I think either or is okay. It's what works for you, what were you using before? If you're already on Gmail, then I think Google is not the worst idea. If you're already on Microsoft products, then go for Microsoft. Use what works for you. I think the tool is just to help you get the work done. It's not the actual conversation. We've talked a lot about security now that everyone is working from their own premise. There are even organizations that... Uh, don't uh, give their team members like uh, company laptops. So can you guys talk a bit more about now security policies, especially in a scenario where you can't enforce them in person? So what are some of the considerations that you, as a team looking to get better at remote work, need to consider as you look at it from the security perspective? If I, if I may start, think of um, security strategies before all of this came about. So business continuity management was a very difficult thing to start with. Um, so not everybody was um, uh, looking at business continuity. So before that gets to be, to be even formed, that, that would take some time. Now, we need to start doing the bare minimum. And I tell people, the best way to solve any security problem is to go back to the basics. Let me tell you something. Separating your work life and your your normal everyday life is the first thing to start with. So your work laptop and your office, I mean, your normal everyday user laptop has to be separated so that you don't mix the two. Now, also when it comes to your, you're working from home. So your router you've been given, currently I can tell you for a fact, there's a particular internet service provider. I can log in into 700 routers from home, from where I am. Don't ask me what internet I use at home. I use quite a number. But there's 700 mm-hmm. routers I can log in because of default configurations. They don't really care about the security of you because of some issues we, they have already, they can't fix it right now. So change your default password for your routers. Change the password they've given to you. Some, some service providers will tell you they are going to give you the password you want. I mean, they, they want, and they give it to you. No, change the password and let them change it for you to something that you can have control of. Don't use wireless networks. If you are my neighbor uh, and you're using Wi-Fi, there's a very high chance that I'll be able to log into your, and I'll be chatting with you. I'll be in the same house with you. I'll control your TV. So don't use your, don't use a wired connection if possible. 
Um, people think, people have, um, if you have a Microsoft laptop or if you have a Linux operating system, it comes with some sort of uh, anti-malware solutions. Um, and people still go to buy others. But if before you go buy, even the default one, Windows Defender, for example, again, I am not advocating for Microsoft because people <laughs> think but Windows Defender has really been a, a pain to me when I'm trying to create malware. Okay, malware for testing, not for hacking people to test. And it's pretty good. They've done a lot of work on that. If you're in a corporate entity, look for something like Microsoft ATP, which is something we call an EDR, uh, Endpoint Detection and Response. It's better than a normal traditional anti-malware solution. Or there's ESET, there's Kaspersky and the likes, but use something that is very light and you can afford and it works easily with the organization. So, Get an endpoint security solution. If you haven't planned for that before you went on Corona's um, break, just use the normal one you have or buy a few that is there. Secondly, activate your firewalls. The firewalls are on your laptop. They are there. Just make sure they're updated. Make sure they're connected. Make sure they're constantly using. Don't install. People install three antiviruses on their laptops thinking that the more you install, the more protection you have. That is wrong. It's not going to work. Only one might work, or even you start seeing that each other's competition, so it's not going to work for you. If you get out there to use public Wi-Fi, please be very sure that you're connected to the right Wi-Fi and only log on to the Wi-Fi if you have to. And I will not advocate you to connect to any public free Wi-Fi. Hotspot your phone and make sure your phone can be used as a hotspot that you know is just yours. Um, there are people who can actually fake your own hotspot, uh, but that is that takes a lot of work unless you're really targeted. So only connect, connect if you have to go online. And with that, I think it should be fine. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically for me. But strategy to be building, policies to be built will take some time. Uh, mm. But organizations that just need to start thinking of how do we get to build these policies and make sure that the entire, empl the entire employee force adhere to them and sign against them as well. Okay, a quick question, and this is more to do with, so for this particular part of the conversation, I'll be deferring more to Bright since that it's, it's his entire career. Uh, you've talked about the idea of uh, not using Wi-Fi, uh, separating your work laptop from your personal laptop, uh, yes. yet in reality, you'll find that one, quite a number of firms can't, okay, or rather quite a number of organizations or people who work in different companies may yeah. not have another laptop or the company may not give you a laptop. So how do you still remain? Like, yes, how do you still very, keep that? That's why I was saying that the basic things you have, um, for example, mm. your uh, antiviruses or the malware solutions you have on your laptop, use them. Make sure that they are working. Oh, and okay. The company can give you a corporate VPN, fine. But not everybody can uh, start budgeting for corporate VPN. So... If you can get your own, don't use free VPNs, please. Free, anything free. If anything is free, you are the, you, you are the target. I mean, if, if it's free, you're, you're the one paying for it. So ExpressVPN is one of the ones that I like to use. Um, it only costs about 10,000 Kenya shillings. So if you buy ExpressVPN, um, you can actually do it. Another thing also is um, people get you to do online uh, purchasing of, the, of, of a lot of things. You're going online, you're, you're buying the things or using PayPal and your credit card details. I advise people not to use their debit card or credit cards online directly. Link them to something like PayPal that you've created an account for. And if you go to PayPal, if you, if you, if you just Google and press that to PayPal, 
there's an uh, there's a site that can allow you to be able to i'll paste the link in the in the chat right now you can actually link the two that you can transfer money from your mpesa to your paypal account so you only use the amount of money that you really want to use to purchase anything online i find it to be a safer way of getting things done um, okay on the, on the personal level and um just make sure you have the bare minimum basics done the thing that is going to affect a lot of people right now during COVID-19 and a uh, time is phishing attacks. People are going to send you phishing emails that will make you, it will be so enticing to make you click or download something, um, which I don't, I think people have to be very wary of. Okay, uh, uh, maybe before you uh, submit and Lynn responds, uh, probably I'll push you guys to talk a bit more about uh, what uh, Dr. Bright has touched on. Uh, now protecting your data from things like phishing attacks. Uh, we've seen a very easy example, especially on WhatsApp, where they are forwards uh, telling you that you can redeem your free money from the government. So how are we educating and getting people to know not fall for such things? I'll start by saying um, there is that one person in every organization who will click on anything. If I today send a link, <laughs> click here for free coffee. There is at least that one person who will click on it. The other thing I always say is never underestimate, and, and, and I might get into trouble for this, but never underestimate two things, human ingenuity and human stupidity. Um, simply for this reason. Um, a lot of, if you look at a lot of the attacks uh, that are changing these days, they're based on attacking people, not necessarily um, softwares. So if you look at the way people um, are creating malware, think they're no longer saying, hey, how do I hack this system? But if I know Kirui has the highest privilege in terms of access and identity in a country, company. If I come completely impersonating digitally, that means I have access to everything. So just rule of thumb, here's the three things you need to think about, especially as businesses. You need to protect people, devices, and data. People in the sense that um, is this person who who's signing into your service or using your tool? Is he who he says this? And that's why managing identity and devices become very important. Is he using the device that is authenticated? And even if he's using his personal device, is it actually him? Um, and then if you look at data, how do you govern how data moves around? Now people are, are throwing everything across WhatsApp, Facebook, Messenger, whatever tool that is convenient for them. Today there is a plethora, and I can give you a list of tools that simply allow you to manage all these things. So rights management, data loss prevention, identity management. There's literally, I can, with one word, there's a tool that can do all that, Active Directory. Um, but for those uh, companies that have no clue what that is, you find we, we tend to pick up tools and use, use only the fraction of the tool that we know. We never fully explore what that tool can do. I'll give a good example. Um, for a lot of the people who use Office 365, there are very few people who actually go into the depths of understanding what that tool can do for you end to end. When I say Teams, what people naturally assume it is, it's a video conferencing app. People don't realize it can do way more than that. You can manage identity, devices, people, tools, apps, integrations. So 
look at the tools that you're using today, whether it's G Suite, whether it's um, Microsoft Teams, Office 365, and look further and understand what can it do more. Google Apps has an identity system. Most people don't know you can use G Suite to manage devices. So take time as a business and understand what are the tools that you have today? What can they do end to end so that you don't end up buying a tool for the wrong reason or have overlaps and then you end up bearing a fat cost. So okay. those are a couple of things I'd love to add. So there's a good friend of mine who used to tell me um, when it comes to cybersecurity, people are the biggest loophole. Um, the fact that when you walk away from your desk and you leave your laptop on and open and easy to access, um, those are the basics that uh, that's the basic way that a hacker will come in or, and, you know, be able to go through your laptop and steal data. So basic things, educating your people on the basic um, security measures that they can take on a daily basis, I think needs to be priority um, at this point. Uh, things like Google have uh, a mobile device manager. So basically just having, remo- you can remotely ask your people to install install Google device policy uh, in order to separate company data, company uh, apps, and your personal apps. So the, it's, as, as Samet said, you, you already have all or most of the stuff you need when it comes to these apps that we use on a daily basis, but no one is really going into them to understand what they do apart from what they use um, on a very high level. So um, use what you have and teach the basics. Teach people because people are the biggest loophole. I think that's what I can say. How do you guys deal with burnout when working fully remote? I think I've taught the partners or startups that I work with. Mm. If I do not have a meeting invite on my calendar, I am not attending that meeting. It's as simple as that. So the culture of being able to put on a calendar, here are all the meetings that I have and sending out meeting requests. Number two, same way physical meetings have gaps in between, I place uh, time blockers. On my calendar, I've blocked out my lunch time. That way somebody doesn't send me meeting requests during lunch. You kind of have to be intentional about your timings. So one of the things that people need to do is... For organizations, we make it a guidance on how people work from home. Individually, communicate to your team your working hours. Now that we're home, people assume I can jump onto a call at 10 in the night. No, I'm not going to do it. So that's communication, but also creating that culture of how you work. So avoiding that burnout is, you know, being intentional about at home. Communicate with your partners, your spouses about your working hours so that you're not interrupted. Um, so those are sort of the best practices in terms of avoiding burnout. Okay. Lynn? Yeah. I um, think you've been working remote the longest. <laughs> yeah, I feel like an expert on this. Um, so basically, I think it's good to understand who you are and how you work. Basically, um, taking frequent breaks for me is paramount. If I don't take a break every hour or so, I'll start um, doing random things on my laptop, going to places, I shouldn't be going to uh, basically because my mind has gone like burnt out its concentration span. So take frequent breaks. It's okay to go and grab a snack. It's okay to go and get a glass of water just as long as you communicate that. So over communication is key. Make sure people know what you're doing, know where you're at. If you need to leave the room, if you're, you need to attend to your child, it's okay. People understand there's a lot of empathy going out there right now. No one, is pre- was prepared for this and people understand that people need to leave the room for some time just communicate it um 
As Sumet says, time blocking is super important. If you have a personal um, appointment you need to get to, just have it in your calendar as busy. You don't need to tell people what you're doing. But people will be smart enough to know, hey, I can't reach out to so-and-so at this certain time. So um, avoiding burnout is about creating those boundaries and understanding yourself enough to know when to stop. It's easy to end up overworking because you're just on your laptop all day and you don't realize, hey, it's 8 p.m. and I need to stop working now. So set those boundaries for yourself as well, where you know, hey, this is my, I work between eight and five and after five, it's, it's time for me to go spend time with my family or do other things. So it's about boundaries both ways. What's your take on creating a work environment when you don't have a dedicated room for work stroke study? How important is it to establish that environment? You have to create that environment by focusing on the things that will make you be able to work. So one, of course, is internet connection and also be able to separate that environment and claim that environment to be yours. So I, for, I, for example, claim a particular part of the house to be my workspace. And usually it's where I'm sitting right now. This is my office. Uh, <laughs> I don't like to come and interrupt me when I'm working here. If you need anything, tell me from far away or something. I don't know. So mm-hmm. I decided to choose a particular spot. But once in a while, I try to move to another part of the house and use that for the week. So I let everybody in the, in the house know that this is my spot for the week when I'm working. And that has, uh, that has been able to help for, for some time now. Communicate. Communicate about your space, your working hours, your time with your spouses, with your workmates, with your colleagues. That is the only way you'd be able to manage that work environment. Okay, Lynn? Yeah. Um, Also, I believe creating that work environment is not only a physical space, but a mental space you need to get into. So um, I don't have an actual room that's dedicated for my work, but I, I was able to create like, this is my desk, this is my working desk. And when I'm in this place, my mind mentally shifts into work mode. So it's more into creating that space in your mind and facilitating the things that help you work. Um, I, I would say like putting on the right music. If this music gets into you into the zone, have that music when you're working so that you're able to be as productive as possible. So I I think that's one of the ways that helps as well. So seeing that uh, COVID has really changed how people work first, what do you think will persist beyond this particular time that we're in? What do you think will become the new norm? And then the second thing is uh, just quick advice to the audience on the non-negotiables when looking for an online tool. Uh, For me, um, this came... uh, Digital transformation is here to stay, uh, and we, should, we, just, we just have to embrace it and uh, adjust to it. And even when we move to the normal way of working, which is office-based, let's try to see if we can balance it too. It gets us to be more productive. The internet does not forgive, it does not forget, so don't be, be very careful what to post online and what you share online and what you do. And be, be on the alert, be aware, use the right tools for the right reason, as uh, Lynn has put. So just make sure you have the right tool that can help you to work effectively yeah yeah sure um i think for me what will not change is the culture so as we build remote working for your employees you create sort of a culture of how people work 
uh, what typically would happen is if you then go back to your normal ways of working, question is, do you carry over that culture? Do you bake it into part of the existing way you work or do you adapt what you used to before to fit and accommodate both? So um, how you treat people, whether you're being inclusive, people, as you said, the internet doesn't forget, people also don't forget. And so there has to be a bit of a mindset shift in terms of how work in itself is done. I think there's been a bunch of conferences about the future of work. Here it is right now. As Omet said, um, if you can have a way that people can log in and log out without having to come to the office, then you've shifted the way you do your work, the processes of your company, and how effective you are at the end of the day. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us at Nairobi at Meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.